This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Round Ball Stew on NBC Sports Edge. I am your fill-in host, Ryan Knaus. Uh, our esteemed host, Matt Straup, is not here today. But I have three of my Edge colleagues with me, Jared Johnson, Raphael Johnson, and Steve Alexander. Uh, there's a lot to cover this week, guys. We've got a um, couple conference final series to talk about. We want to talk about changing fantasy values, players who may have benefited or not uh, from their performance in the postseason for whatever reason. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. So there's a lot to cover. So let's just jump right into the Clippers. Uh, they won game three to make this a series versus the Suns. A lot to cover in that game. Jared, let's just open-ended get into this game. What jumped out at you from the top? Uh, we could just kind of kick it off from there. Uh, I guess how poorly Chris Paul played. Uh, that was clearly noticeable and clearly a deciding factor in that loss. Um, how Paul George stepped up after his game two performance where they lost by one point and he went five of 10 from the stripe. And um, yeah, Terrence Mann just continuing to be really, really good, quietly very good, but very good. I guess that would be my general takeaways. Yeah. Does the Chris Paul, I mean, he just looked a little step slow, right? He even admitted after the game that he needs to pick up the pace. Uh, Steve, is that anything that gives you concern? Do you expect a different CP3 in game four? I do expect a different CP3 in game four. He shot five of 19. But, you know, along with that, Devin Booker was five of 21. So the two cogs of that team both struggled DeAndre Ayton, once again, money. Like the guy, the guy yeah. can't seem to do anything wrong right now. Uh, Booker, Booker playing with that broken nose. Thanks, thanks, Pat Bev. 
real, real cool. Um, him playing with that broken nose is tough. And then Chris Paul having a couple games off, you know, having to be in isolation quarantine. I'm sure he was just rusty. Um, I don't see any way the Clippers can pull out of three straight O2 holes. Like that was a big win for them. Yeah. Paul George hit his free throws, but he still stunk from the floor. He was nine to 26, not a very efficient, uh, 27 point night, six turnovers too. Yeah. Six turnovers. He, he had a good stat line, but Chris Paul had a decent stat line too. He had a double, double, even though he didn't play that well, but, uh, I just feel like the sun, this is the sun's year. Like they're, they're, if the Clippers come back from this O2 hole, it'll be one of the, <laughs> one of the biggest stories in NBA playoff history. I mean, no team's ever done it twice, let alone three times. And let alone without Kawhi. Raph, do you have any more faith in the Clippers than it sounds like uh, Steve has to pull off, pull another rabbit out of their hat? I do, and I'm going to bring up a point that no one's really mentioned. I think the importance of Cameron Payne was quite evident last night when he went down with the ankle injury. Uh, after he went out, Etwan Moore was back in the rotation. With all due respect to him, he, he's not really a facilitator. And when you had to put him next to Devin Booker in that second unit, Devin's being hounded all over the court by Patrick Beverly. That's where Phoenix got in trouble. Um, and I know the Clippers had that lull early in the second quarter offensively, but they were able to fight through that, I think in part because of the fact that the Suns really didn't have that second point guard in their rotation. So with his ankle injury, that's something I'm really looking forward to seeing Saturday night. If he's going to be able to play, and if he does play, how limited he is because I don't think anybody thought we'd think of campaign as like a key piece for the Suns, but the way that he's played combined with Chris Paul coming back from that lengthy hiatus, he's a bit more important than I think a lot of us thought in this series. Can I say two yeah. things? I have two things. Okay. Uh, one, I do think that DeAndre Ayton was a problem last night. Um, he got, I would argue, all basically dominated by Zubats. Um, he only had nine total rebounds, five on the defensive end. Um, that cannot happen. If you're Phoenix, you can't allow Zubots to significantly out-rebound out you. He had 16 boards, uh, 10 on the defensive glass. So when you're not getting defensive boards, you're allowing second chance opportunities. You're allowing the play to continue to go on. Um, about Chris Paul, I don't know if it's a rust thing. He had COVID. And we don't know to what degree he had it. I don't know if we ever found out if he was vaccinated. Um, but it took Jason Tatum about two months to come back from that. So let's not just like throw it away like he was taking a rest day from an ankle injury. No, he had COVID. Like, <laughs> and we don't know the degree. They never released that information, which makes me suspect that it wasn't like a vaccinated case. It was, it was a case where he genuinely had it. And as, as far as we know, he hadn't been around his teammates at all for that entirety of, of his absence due to COVID. And they speculated on TV. They weren't even sure whether he had been able to work out during that time. Uh, mm -hmm. Definitely looked a step slow. Couldn't quite exploit Zubats in that, you know, with his mid-range game as we've seen him do in the past. So I don't have any information on, on that. I My thought is if he was if he was showing symptoms and was sick, he wouldn't be back right now. So I, I don't think he, it's the I recovery don't, process. It's not about symptoms. 
like Jason Taylor. Okay, well, we could, I have. mean, we don't need to, we probably don't need to get into all that here, but I, I, I think if he was, if he was really sick, he wouldn't have, he wouldn't have played in, in game three. So I, I fully expect Paul to bounce back in, in game four and look like he did right before his hiatus, which he was on fire. We'll see. I, what, I mean, yeah. it's, it's interesting. It's, it's an interesting piece and uh, of the story and it'll be interesting to see what happens. I think uh, to Jared's point, the Zubac move, you know, getting Marcus Morris out of there and getting Zubac in there and Zubac playing that well was a huge piece for the Clippers. Like that was a sweet move uh, by a tie. Yeah. Maybe final thought on this game, Raph, do you see an alternative for the Clippers than Zubac? I mean, Marcus Morris was almost ruled out of game three due to his knee wound up playing 24 minutes off the bench, but without Serge Ibaka, obviously Kawhi being out gives them a little bit less flexibility in the front court. What are their options? Do they need Zubats to be a double-double guy to to make this a continuous series? I think they do. Um, to, to a minimum match with DeAndre and said, like Jared said, he outplayed him last night, but you're going to need someone to do that. It's not Marcus Morris, as, we, as we've seen, even without the knee issues that he's got, it's not DeMarcus Cousins outside of that second quarter in game two. So if Zubac doesn't continue on his path, I don't think that the Clippers can win this series unless Kawhi yeah. were to come back as well. So I think they really need Zubac to keep building on what he showed us last night. So many storylines. I'm with you guys. I, you know, it's unfortunate we have to talk about COVID and Chris Paul. It's almost like we need a, a doctor on staff to come in and, <laughs> and talk us through some of this stuff. But uh, it's I, I, listen. I love the postseason. I love that we're talking about Cameron Payne and Ivica Zubats and the nuances of their game and and how important they are. So great the, time of year. Yeah. The, the other thing that's nuts is Kawhi Leonard hasn't played in the series. And if Kawhi yeah. Leonard plays in the series, the Clippers might be up three nothing. Like, yeah. Uh, and nobody's really talking about Kawhi Leonard. Like, I don't think he'll. I don't think we'll see him again until the finals if the Clippers can somehow get there. Um, it just doesn't sound like he's even close to, to being ready to go. But then again, I haven't examined his knee or watched him work out. So I, I don't really know. But no. yeah, I just get the sense we're not going to see him in the series. I mean, he was up in one of those loge boxes last night watching the game. <laughs> so he doesn't look like he's about to suit up and get on the court. Um, all right, guys, let, let's move on to the other conference finals that's happening. Steve, your your Hawks stole game one. There's the victorious dance going on. <laughs> um, so they're going to look to to take a 2-0 lead potentially tonight in Milwaukee. Uh, Raph, let's start with you. Anything in particular you're looking for in this game? Any adjustments that need to be made? Players who stand out for DFS? Anything at all? I, I'm looking at the Bucks center rotation. Um, because I don't think they can continue to play that deep drop coverage with Brooke Lopez like they did in game one, because Trey Young's just going to eat that up like it's nothing. We've seen that throughout the playoffs. You try to play him drop. The floater's just going to be there pretty much automatically, and he can always hit step back threes as well. So you you may be taking away the lob opportunities for Clint Capella, but what are you really taking away if you do that? So... I think the biggest thing there is going to be how the Bucks use Lopez and, and Bobby Portis as well. We didn't see him towards the end of the Brooklyn series, but obviously he figured prominently in game one. I think we may have to see a bit more of him, even though Mike Budenholzer doesn't seem to want to pull that trigger, so to speak. Mm. But we may need to see a bit more Portis in this series in order for the Bucks to have any chance of 
not really slowing down Trey Young, because I don't think you can do that, but at least making life a bit more difficult for him in those pick and roll spots. Because Lopez, I don't think that's the approach they're going to be able to take for long periods within games. Couldn't couldn't agree more, Steve. You you've been dismayed in the past, or at least surprised by the Bucks' unwillingness to deploy Portis. Are you uh you expecting to see more of him? Obviously, I couldn't agree more with Raf. Uh, Brooke Lopez looked like a fish out of water in that game. He was exploited from the get-go. Bucks tried to establish him with the three-point shot, wasn't wasn't falling, and at that point he was a liability. Yeah, and I mean at this point, I don't even think the Bucks should really be playing Brooke Lopez or Bobby Portis. Like um, Clint Capella's got his hands full worrying about Giannis uh, and playing defense against Giannis. So I'm not expecting big things from Capella on the offensive end of the court. I mean, Lopez was such a detriment to Milwaukee in that game. Like when he was on the court, they were like minus 26. And when he was off the court, they were plus 20 or something ridiculous. And Budenholzer is going to have to figure something out. He's going to have to make adjustments because like Roth said, that drop defense, Trey Young had what, 26 points on mm-hmm. floaters. And, and if uh, Trey Young's shot selection was not really that great in that game, yeah, he was he shot a bunch of 35 foot three pointers yeah. that left Hawks fans like, what yeah. are you doing? Calm down. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then again, he had 48 points and 11 assists. And, and you can't be mad at, at him for anything that he did, really. The Hawks, I felt like that whole game, the Hawks were just sort of waiting for the door to open, and then they were going to run through it. I, I feel like all the pressure, and I know all the pressure oh. in this series is on Giannis and the Bucks and, and Coach Bud. Like, it, the Hawks have no pressure on them. They're just freewheeling. Mm-hmm. And I, I tell you what, I, I'm not going to be surprised if the Hawks don't go out and win game two. Yeah, Jared, you you've been nodding a lot while Steve was talking to you. <laughs> you I concur, just, and I concur. I agree completely with everything he said. The <laughs> Hawks have been one of my favorite teams to watch this postseason. Trey's been a nice little supplement for no Steph Curry. Last night, or sorry, during during the the first game, uh, Bucks lost by three points. Do you guys happen to know how Chris Middleton shot from three? Oh, I'm gonna guess. Top of my head, one of he didn't shoot six. well from anywhere. Zero of nine. Oh. Six to twenty-three from the floor, zero and nine from three. Yep. And Bucks a three as point a team game. were terrible from three-point land. So that's that's a problem, and it's a problem I've noted before with the Bucks is that Chris Middleton um, isn't consistently mm-hmm. there. Uh, Drew showed up last night. You know, I was watching that game last night. I'd said during the last series, it wouldn't surprise me if if the Atlanta Hawks upset the 76ers because they're too young to be a scared. They play like dogs. And I saw a tweet from Draymond Green the other day, like saying something along the lines of this team isn't scared. And that's important. And I just get these 2015 dubs vibes from this Atlanta team. Like maybe, maybe they can just sneak in there and be the healthiest team and, and just go all the way. Um, Is that, is that a backdoor Steph uh, comparison you, you got going there, Jared? I think um, I didn't like that comparison when Trey came into the league, but I think it's becoming more and more reasonable to make. I don't like forced comparisons, but I do think if you're going to make one, it's one that makes sense. Um, just watching Trey dominate. I, I love this Hawks team, man. They're so fun to hmm. watch. And I just really feel they could they could upset Milwaukee. When I was watching the game, I, I was texting my friends. I was like, 
you know, as the clock's winding down and Trey's taking all those 30 footers, I'm like, I think the Hawks might have ran out of magic. And then sure enough, they don't give up. They come back. They steal the game. So, And that's, that's despite Bogdan Bogdanovich playing on one leg, essentially. The yes, whole game. he looked very bad. Yeah. <laughs> John Collins, though. That yes, man is going did. to get paid this offseason by yeah. someone. It's not Atlanta. Somebody's going to put up big money for him because he's he's played very well in this yeah. series. Yeah. You know, Kevin Herter, you know, you know, he's also done a good job for them. So, yeah, I, this is definitely a series, like Jared said, the Hawks aren't scared. But I think after they got past the Knicks, this has pretty much been a free roll, free roll for them. You know, mm-hmm. there, there's no reason for them to be nervous or anything. Just go out there and play. They took out Philly. If Milwaukee loses tonight, you got to imagine all the pressure in the world is going to be on their shoulders just because of the impact that going out before the finals could have on that franchise as a whole in terms of who's coaching yes. the team next year and the rotation as well. So the right. Hawks, you got to split, but I think if they can be a little bit greedy tonight and go for that 2-0, that would be huge for them. The Bucks, I will say, have to be overjoyed that Giannis has already been locked up with his super max extension, right? Because if they if they went out, I mean, imagine the level of pressure that would be on yes. them if that were not the case. And the other thing about Trey is, like, we're talking about not being scared. Um, not only is he not scared, like, he wants to go into their house and yes. lay them to rest yes. and yell at the crowd Shut and shoot them, free throws with the pressure on him. Like he wants all of it. And I, I tell you what, man, everybody thinks Giannis is such a huge problem. And he is, but Trey, Trey, I think Trey is more of a problem than Giannis. And that I did not think that was going to be the case. And you know, when the, when the Hawks traded Luca for Trey, I, I was as vocal as anybody not being happy about that. I didn't think Trey was this good. Trey, Trey is an assassin. Like he is yes. unbelievable. Yeah. And the other thing about this Middleton disappearing act is I think that Giannis Middleton and Drew Holiday all have to play really well to beat this team. Like if one of them has an off night, like Drew Holiday, I don't think is going to come out tonight and hit 14 or 25 shots mm. and be cold blooded and and not miss anything and have a, have a flawless game like he did in game one. That's not going to happen again. I think Middleton bounces back, but Holiday, Coach Nate is going to have something for Holiday tonight. I think all three of those guys have to click uh, for that team to beat the Hawks, whereas with the Hawks, as long – I mean, we've seen all of them play poorly and still still win a game against Philly and win a game against the Knicks. Like, they, don't, they aren't as reliant on everybody having to play well as the Bucks are. I agree, and I think that's one reason Dante DiVincenzo's absence has felt maybe a little more than than we've given it credit for because he's a guy who could take a little bit of pressure off that top three, hit some three-pointers on a night when the Bucks shot 8 of 36 combined, uh, also play pesky defense against Trey Young, just give them one more one more tool. Uh, but without him, it's, it's tough, and I, I'm with you. I mean, they interviewed Mike Budenholzer during game one, and he – they were how do you slow down Trey Young and his reply was basically well it's it's tough but as long as we can keep everyone else contained we, we think we'll be okay 
and then Trey goes out and falls two points shy of the franchise record and they, and the Hawks win the game. So I think, you know, the Bucks have to go back to the drawing board here, both in terms of how Raph started this out. How do they defend in the drop coverage? Can, can they even use Brooke Lopez to Steve's point? So, you know, all the pressure on Milwaukee to make those adjustments. And that's been a criticism of Buddenholzer in the past that he hasn't been, been as flexible as he needs to be. And to, to your point, uh, Ryan, Pat Connaughton played 29 minutes in that game which were mm-hmm. DiVincenzo's minutes. He was one of six, 0 for four from downtown, four points, like completely empty, useless 29 minutes of action for yeah. Pat Connaughton. He's yeah. had some good games in the postseason, so it won't be too harsh, but you're right. He was, he was not helping his team in that one. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Have you ever spotted McDonald's hot, crispy fries right as they're being scooped into the carton? And time just stands still. Um, Let's go because I wanted to uh, also in this pod talk about some players whose values have changed. Let's start with John Collins. Raph, you mentioned how good he's been in this series. I don't think we've talked enough about him, perhaps. Uh, He wanted that max contract. Who knows if he'll get it. But if he lands, let's say, in an ideal situation on a team that wants to establish him as one of their franchise pillars, what is his ceiling, do you think? And Raph, let's start with you there. I would, man, that's a good question because there's so many variables at play when you talk about a free agent, like the the coaching staff he's going to wind up with and, and all that. But I don't think I'd let him slip past the third round if he were to get into a situation where he were a marquee player, like you could probably wait a little bit longer if he were to stay in Atlanta, but if he were to land somewhere where he would be that number one guy, even if we haven't seen him as the number one guy yet in his career, I would be willing to roll the dice on him pretty early next year. Jared, Jared, are you, are you agreeing with that? Yeah. I, I, I'd take him. If, if he lands in a situation where he's the main guy and he's guaranteed 30 plus minutes, uh, I'll take him like the mid second round and and think that he could have a first round caliber season. Nope. I think Steve may have cut out on us. <laughs> okay. Um, so Jared and Raph, let's, uh, until we get Steve back, I wanted to talk about, as I mentioned, players whose values have changed. Let's start with the positive guys, the guys who've gone up. I'll name some names. Just come back. Anything that stands out to you, any one of those that jumps out or you disagree. So players, I think maybe have improved their fantasy stock going into drafts next year. For sure, Terrence Mann uh, on the radar, whereas he probably wasn't prior to the postseason. Daniel Gafford really cemented his case. Uh, campaign, 
Jaron Jackson Jr., we've at least seen him healthy. Mikhail Bridges, Dylan Brooks, and Reggie Jackson. Any of those stand out to you, Raph, as, as someone you're uh, actively targeting now or anything like that? Dylan Brooks burned me this year. Um, <laughs> he was not a very efficient offensive player. But I think it, with the playoffs, what he showed was an, an improved ability to defend. And if that can translate into defensive stats, that may be able to help make up for the inefficiency on the offensive end of the floor. Um, so I think he would be the one that would stand out to me. I think I would, I don't, it's kind of tough. You don't want to put your hand on the burning stove twice after you've been burned <laughs> once, but he's a guy that really stands out to me because Terrence, man, I think he definitely has shown why he should be in the rotation, but you've got Paul George, you, you may have Kawhi Leonard back, depending on what he does with his contract. It's going to be tough there in terms of the getting him getting the touches that he'll need to really step right. forward and be a player, you know, worth taking in standard week. Yeah, Terrence Mann has, has been unbelievable uh, this postseason. This has been, if it's been Trey Young's postseason in the East, it's Terrence Mann has made a name for himself in the West. But like Raph said, if he's if he's still in uh in Los Angeles and I'm not I don't know if let me check his contract status really quick. Yeah, he's still going to be there. They have a team option on him, so he'll be there. I mean, Kawhi Kawhi has a player option. Who know we never know what's going on with Kawhi. So, but let's just assume Kawhi and PG are there. It's it's tough to see him doing this with those guys. So, I don't know, he is on my radar. I'm not sure how far I would go to grab him, you know, like maybe a late yeah. round pick. I'm not sure I'm, I'm reaching above that. And uh, Reggie Jackson this season, I've said it before, but not this season, this postseason. Uh, he's just like, how is he being this good? <laughs> he, waited, he like <laughs> waited until he got bought out of his max contract to start playing like a max contract player. But man, I, I, I don't believe it every time. And, and like he just keeps coming with these huge monster games where he's the clear X factor and putting the Clippers over the top to an extent I simply did not know he was capable of. Um, am I going to believe it next season? No, probably not. I, but yeah. it, it has been certainly impressive watching that man go to work. Sorry to cut you off, but I'm pretty bullish on Daniel Gafford too. I think the coaching change is going to help him out because hopefully we will not have a situation where the next head coach believes that he should play three centers throughout the course of a 48 minute game. Yes, man. Hey, kudos to him for being in the NBA because it's hard, but if you're playing, you're starting, but playing like seven minutes, what's the point? Like, seriously, what, what was the point of that? So, you know, I think Daniel Gafford, the impact he had on that rotation when they acquired him at the trade deadline, I don't think any of us envisioned that, but he got the opportunity to play and he took advantage of it. I think if you can go into next season with a rotation of Gafford and Robin Lopez, if you're the Wizards, I think Robin might be a free agent, if I'm not mistaken, but you do that, I think you're much better served, especially when you're talking about playing off of Russell Westbrook and Bradley Beal than trying to play three bigs because that, that just did yeah. not make any sense. Let's not forget about Thomas Bryant though. Yeah. Coming that's off, a good point. Yeah. Coming off that's a good point. 
another major injury yeah. though the durability is going to be a huge question mm-hmm. mark um i'm with you i mean gafford was a difference maker right he came in yes, and immediately yeah. made a huge impact both ends of the court just kind of his ability to rim run and clean up offensively and then his shot blocking and actual rim protection which is something they didn't get from from the uh aforementioned alex len and robin lopez both of whom are free agents i forget if i mentioned that. okay um right. so yeah i think with with gafford the uncertainty of can he stay healthy First of all, I don't think I touch him in drafts until after a hundred at this point. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And G- Gafford's maybe like a mid-round guy. I don't. I don't know. Is that is that too aggressive? For well, you? Yeah, I would yeah. say so. Just because, like Jared mentioned, you know, the Thomas Bryant factor. You know, who knows how much he'll play early on? But I think, given what Bryant brings to the table offensively, he's going to be the odds-on favorite to start if he's healthy. So. I don't know. I wouldn't use a top 100 on Gafford, but I think right after that, I would be really alert to possibilities of being able to pick him up. Yes. I will just, I, my only point, and when I say mid round, I'm like 75 ish, but Gafford okay. in only 19 minutes a game over the last couple months of the season was a top 100 player in 19 minutes, wow. almost two <laughs> blocks a game, almost six boards. 10 points on 76% shooting. So that's that kind of per minute. Like uh, Bryant himself was one of those guys, right? Per minute, he's giving you all the fantasy goodness, just needs to get that playing time. Um, So I'm, I'm hope, I mean, it's an optimistic take, but I wouldn't be shocked if the hype train uh, led by our own absent host, uh, Matt Straub (laughs) pushes Daniel Gafford uh, somewhere close to the mid rounds, at least. I mean, how long have we been hyping up Robert Williams for the same reason? Yeah, in terms of yes. production. Yeah. So yeah, that's a great, yeah. great example. Speaking um, of which, I think that those he's guys... the hipster Robert. He's the hipster Time Lord going in next year. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want anybody else on him, so you can say you're there first. <laughs> I like that. Um, all right, well let's let's end on a on a down note by talking about players who whose value has cratered or at least decreased. Uh, I'll just start with with four guys, see if any jump out at you. Uh, ben Simmons goes without saying. That's a whole can of worms. We could do a whole podcast just on him, probably. Uh, Brandon Clark fell out of the rotation. Josh Richardson, what happened in Dallas this year? And Montrez Harrell pretty much falling out of the rotation. Uh, of those four, any reason for optimism for any of them going into next year? I'll take a risk on Ben Simmons. I think the slander is ridiculous. I mean... <laughs> Look, he, he was bad in the playoffs, for sure. He was passing up open layups. But, look, we play fantasy basketball during the regular season. During the regular season, he's pretty good. He gives you stats that you can't get from many guys. He's going to give you A-plus assists with, like, close to two steals. Um, I don't care that he's not going to shoot any threes. He's a really good high field goal percentage guy. Um, you know, you use a punting strategy. But I think that this terrible playoff performance is going to make him slip and I will take that dip, so I'm fine with him. The other guys, He's not so much. Durable too. Yeah. Yes. I, I would be. Yeah, I, I'm with you on on Simmons because I would bet it that the pride factor would come into play here this off season. I, I think he's going to get to work on his game at at minimum to become a a respectable foul shooter. Uh, I don't know yeah. if the three point shot's going to come along, but it's more important for a ball handler to be a good free throw shooter than it is to be a three-point shooter in my opinion so yeah i think he's going to get to work this offseason and look to improve that 
that's not a contract that Philadelphia is going to be able to move with ease either. So I, I don't see, I don't, for, I don't foresee a, a scenario in which he isn't in Philadelphia next year. And I think he's going to be motivated to come back. He's going to hear a lot of talk about what he can't do, how he failed and all this. And I think he's going to step up to the plate here. And like Jared also noted, the defensive contributions that he brings to the mm-hmm. table, that's worth rolling the dice on in itself from a fantasy standpoint. So this was a bad playoffs for him, but I wouldn't hop off the bandwagon just yet. I, I agree with you guys. And I think the amount of criticism that he's received is really overblown, right? I think there was that one huge play towards the end of game seven where he just passed up an open layup to try to hit, I think, Matisse Thibel going for a dunk, ended yep. up making one of those two free throws, cost his yep. team an absolutely critical point. And you're thinking to yourself, how can the the lead point guard on a team with championship aspirations be making a play like that at such a critical moment. But those are the type of things that do get overblown. They explode in national media, uh, but the Sixers sound like they're content to just try to develop him. Doc Rivers specifically talked about free throw shooting, but the ball handling, as you mentioned, just the overall decision-making plus you got to factor in his trade value is has cratered. So Philly would be giving him up for pennies on the dollar at this point. So, hey, maybe ultimately he's not a natural point guard and they find a spot for him that works better. Like the guy is an incredible athlete with the mm-hmm. physical tools that a scout. I mean, if you took him now off the street and just looked at his raw abilities, you'd be, you know, any team would be thrilled to have him. So I'm with you. I think hopefully the criticism drops him low enough in drafts that if you start a punt free throw percentage strategy and you can still get Ben Simmons and round four or five or something, forget it. Like that, that would be a grand slam. Um, And the inverse of that, uh, going back to Dylan Brooks, Raph, I think he was so good in the postseason. He might be a little overhyped at this point. And I'm scared. I was skeptical of him all year long, like kind of suspended disbelief thing. Same with Grayson Allen. I, I (laughs) refuse to believe that that Grayson Allen will be a reliable fantasy player next year. Anyone else can have him. (laughs) Like they really need to figure out that rotation not so much with brooks but grayson allen d'anthony mountain and desmond bain they need to figure out that trio somehow like i don't know if one of them is going to have to go but i don't think you can play all three of them rotation minutes maybe the justice winslow situation has something to do with that i can't see memphis paying him 14 million next year given what he's provided you know, I sincerely hope not. I, I hope the man gets his money, but they, from a franchise standpoint, you can't do that. So maybe getting him out of there will clear up some room in that two slash three rotation. But yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'll let someone else gamble on Dylan Brooks. And if I'm wrong next year, I, I will happily admit it. Yeah, I feel like Dylan Brooks is a guy that I cannot draft and pick up off the waiver wire later when um, he furiates the person who <laughs> drafted him. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, on that, uh, throwing some shade at some Grizzlies. Uh, guys, thanks for joining, talking some conference finals, and see you back on Monday with Matt Straup in his usual hosting duties. Thanks, everyone.
Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.